Um, Let's pray this morning as we come to God's word. Thank you, Father God, for this day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Lord and Savior, being our comforter, being the one who weeps with us and knows us so well. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you also comfort us and direct us and guide us. And so, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may we be comforted and challenged and given new thoughts of how um, you're with us, Lord, in suffering. You're with us in the dark days. And Lord, you always point us to light and to hope. And so thank you for the story. Help us to find ourselves in it as well. And Lord, I pray for each one here. God, we all come from different times and places throughout our week. And Lord, we all come with um, burdens and heaviness that each one of us bears alone, but also we bear with you. And Lord, help us to bear this with each other. And Lord, I pray that your word would give us strength and courage as we face um, a new week and continue walk with you and each other. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you join us today, we are in continuing into our series of Lent, which we are calling Leaning into Lent. And as we lean into Lent, we lean into spiritual practices that can draw us closer to Jesus. We allow for space and time to listen more attentively, maybe eliminate things or habits in our lives that could be keeping us from a closer walk with him, or we add in practices and things to draw us closer to him. Traditionally, early Christ followers who were preparing for baptism took that 40 days before Lent to examine themselves, fast, pray, repent, and consider the, the step they were also taking to follow Christ because when they identified with Christ, it also mean they identified with his death. And it was a sobering thing to embark on. And so we too follow in those steps and we think about how we, with Christ, identify with his death but also with his resurrection as Jesus' followers. The author of Blessed Is She, a Catholic women's blog, wrote this, that Lent was a time to focus on what was preventing us from having the best possible relationship with God. This author wrote about this phrase sitting with her and then considering what could be hindering her relationship with God, so she chose to focus all her intention on that thing. Again, as we come in this Lenten journey together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to focus on themes that keep us from a deeper relationship with Jesus. And the flip side, what could bring us closer to him? The theme of leaning into Lent is a purposeful one to think about pressing into the things that we may avoid or squirm away from or that we just want to address, not to address and just kind of gloss over. We're good at that. We, we sweep it under the rug or we're like, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there, and then we, then we move on. But that's not what we're doing. So today, as we look at the topic of suffering and death, which is not our favorite one, it's not like this, you know, yip-yippity sermon theme that pastors like to preach on, but it's, it's a serious one because it faces all of us every day. I encourage you to lean into that area of what suffering is for you or has been for you. Think about what causes you discomfort in this area and also seek to be with Jesus closer in this area. So in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a lot of different things, and today we come to the topic of suffering. I wonder, as you um, consider what Kristen just read, what touches you the most about the story of Lazarus? I know it's a familiar story. Actually, the really cool thing that Claire and I figured out last week, um, 
that the, it doesn't always happen like this in the sequence of what the children are learning, but today the children are learning about Lazarus as well in their, in their um, sequence of curriculum. And so it's really amazing when those things happen because I, I hope that you'll have conversations with your children after church about what they learned about Lazarus, what their takeaways were, and then you can have some rich conversation about that. Um, the, the first part of the story that we didn't read is that Lazarus gets sick He's one of Jesus' really good friends. It says that, that Jesus loved this, this set of siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This person is referred to as the one that you love, so this was a good, good friend of Jesus. He, Jesus is told Lazarus is sick, and then Jesus says this unexpected thing. He says um, in the early part of verse 11, um, a man was sick, Lazarus, and it also says that this is the, the, the sister is Mary, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So we have some context of who the family was. And we hear the Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus hears it and he says, his sickness isn't going to end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. And then Jesus does the unexpected thing. He stays put. And then the disciples are, you know, hanging out there, and then he hears in two more days later um, that Lazarus um, is, he tells his disciples, Lazarus isn't actually um, sick, he's dead now. And the disciples are probably wondering, like, this doesn't make any sense. But then he says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I wasn't there, so that all may believe. And then he says, but let us go to him. So Jesus says some really confusing things to his people. It doesn't make sense of how Jesus was usually doing things. And so Jesus comes to the village of Bethany and he finds out he's been in the tomb for four days. And so the thing that's really hard about this story is that Jesus takes his sweet old time going to Bethany. And that's, that's kind of a hurtful part of the story because it doesn't make sense. And there's many Jews have come to comfort Mary and Martha, the thing about Jewish mourning was that they mourned for a solid 40 days, but the first seven days were deep mourning. And so the thing that we don't understand, because I think we mourn more quietly in Western culture, we, we do it more privately, or we try not to show how much we're hurting, is that we don't do it like they did. Like, they were also professional mourners. So someone would die, then they'd hire like this you know, band of people that were really good at crying and, and wailing and making a fuss. And then those people would show up at your house and they would cry it up for you just in case you didn't have a lot of tears. And it would be this huge production. You know, it just sounds like a circus. I would hate it. I'd be like, can you go away? But that's what they do to outwardly show how sad and upset they were. And so we find that at the day four, which is when they would have been in their deepest part of mourning, that Jesus shows up. And he, he comes at this time when it's like, Lord, it's already happened. I think about this story of we, we hear both sisters say the if only. If only, Lord. And then, if only, Lord, you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So there's some blame on Jesus, too. There's pain, deep pain. There's separation of death that has occurred. It's confusion, not understanding. It's really, it's really hard because Jesus had just done all these other miracles and they're like, if he did this, why couldn't he do this? And it's this part where we can't make sense of why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And so we have these, these really tender parts of the story and I was just gonna ask you again, what part of the story sits with you the most? 
Where do you find yourself in this? Maybe what other things have happened in your life where you identify with Mary and Martha, and you're like, God, why didn't you do? And it could be anything. I think about um, my own story of when there's been horrible things that have happened, and in a way, my little bubble has been popped, because I think how we think things are supposed to go and then suffering touches us, and it, it's almost like this, this bubble of protection that we thought we had is gone, and, and we can be really mad at God. Um, I know that I've sat with people as a pastor and as a therapist when people have been hurt or they experienced you know, death or um, suffering of any kind, and it's this anger of like, God, if you're really in charge of things, you want to let this happen. And it's, it's legit mad at God. But then if we come back to the Garden of Eden and we understand of what sin has done, sin has brought... Um, death and separation and suffering and so we also have to reconcile the fact that way back when this happened and so we are constantly dealing with the results of sin which ultimately leads to death and separation and so we have this difficult part of the story where we see who you know Jesus is in his humanity we see that Jesus loved this family he mourns with them and we also see these things that Jesus says that don't make sense um, I wanted to show you a clip. Mark Batterson, uh, this is a really good book to look at if you want to um, have a book suggestion. It's called The Grave Robber. Mark Batterson's a pastor out in Washington, D.C., and he wrote this excellent book on the miracles of, the signs and miracles of Jesus through the book of John. And I found this clip that I think would be, would be um, helpful as we talk about this subject today, and it's on John 11 and um, the story of Lazarus. So enjoy. Oswald Chambers once said, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. So Martha says, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love that little two-word phrase embedded in this statement of faith, even now. It's one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. Even when it seems like God is four days late, it's too soon to give up. Even when it seems like your dream is dead and buried, don't put a period there. It's not over until God says it's over, even now. It was customary in ancient Israel to bury someone on the day of death. After death, the Talmud prescribes seven days of deep mourning and 30 days of light mourning. So Jesus shows up right in the middle of their deepest sorrow, and he grieves with them. John eleven thirty five 35 simply says, Jesus wept. It's every kid's favorite memory verse. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible, but it speaks volumes. But I'm not sure that the English translation does it justice. The force of the Greek verb tense here suggests that Jesus literally burst into tears. This was no measured response. Jesus lost it. It reveals how much Jesus loved Lazarus. We have a God who cries over us. If you've endured the type of loss that Mary and Martha experienced, you know that sometimes you just need a shoulder to cry on. I'm grateful for friends who seem to show up when everybody else takes off. Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother and his broad shoulders, they can bear your burden. Do you believe that statement? 
The broad shoulders of Jesus can bear your burden. I think the most beautiful thing is that we have a God who suffers with us and gets us. And really today, as we, as we talk about the story of Lazarus, there's so many chunks that we could talk about in this story. There's, you know, the resurrection part of, of Lazarus's story. There's the suffering part. There's the, the pre-suffering part. But really today, it, it's leaning into um, who is God and where is God when we suffer? Um, there's tremendous books have written like, where is God when it hurts? You know, I think that's kind of our biggest conundrum as people is if God is so powerful and, and amazing, why does he let us suffer? And that is that's such a question that we're all going to have to wrestle with and come to terms with. But the beautiful thing is, as Oswald Chambers says, I found a whole ton of Oswald Chambers quotes because as I was um, reading this book and watching this video, I kept thinking about this one. We have to pray with our eyes on God and not on our difficulties. As we suffer and go through difficult times, the thing that helps us make sense of things is when we put our eyes on him and not on what the situation is, but what is he doing. And so we have the beautiful gift of hindsight with the story of Lazarus because we have the whole story that we get to read. We get to see that, that the greater purpose was not just in like letting them suffer, but also pointing to the resurrection and the empty tomb and what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was going to die and, and rise from the dead. And so it was pointing to the bigger glory that he was gonna do. But really in, the, in this middle of the story, it was that we had to keep our eyes on God and not on the difficulties, and that was what Jesus was pointing Mary and Martha to. Oswald Chambers also said, faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. And this is a primary example. Mary, Martha, they didn't understand Jesus' ways. They didn't understand why he waited. You know, the village was only a couple miles from where he was. He could have been there in a hop, skip, and a jump, but he didn't come. And so it really comes down to our faith as Christ followers and people who bank on God. We have to deliberately have confidence in his character, in his ways, even when we don't understand what he's doing and what he's up to. And then Oswald Chambers also says this, spiritual character is only made by standing loyal to God's character, no matter what distress the trial of faith brings. So you think about this example, this was a, a, a distress that's very similar to what's been going on in our world right now. How many people do we know that got suddenly sick with COVID and, and wound up in the hospital? Um, how many people have we lost that we loved? That we were like, they were here a couple days ago and then boom, they're gone. And it was so unexpected. And so we can be like Mary and Martha and these of like, God, how did you let this happen? Why did this happen? But we have to come back to no matter what the distress is, that we also stand loyal to God's character because he has a purpose for us in this life. He's also with us in it. The distress and agony the prophets experienced was the agony of leaving God when everything that was happening contradicted what they proclaimed him to be. There was nothing to prove that God was just and true, but everything to prove the opposite. And so it's those places that we sit in that we bank on God and his character and his goodness no matter what. And then as we come to this story, never place a period where God places a comma. And so often we're, we're like, we're going to put a period in it. We'll say it's done, it's over, kind of like Mary and Martha could have been. Their brother had been in the tomb for four days, and I'm sure they thought, like, it's all over. It's been over for four days. But Jesus had a comma right there. And, and to Mark's um, book, The Grave Robber, Jesus did rob the grave. I've thought about with Lazarus, you know, I don't know why this never occurred to me, but Lazarus died twice. 
You know, he died once and then Jesus brought him back. And can you imagine the life he had the second time? I bet he had no fear of death because of what, what had happened. He had a completely different life because of what happened. There's, there's two like legends about Lazarus. He was, um, there's one that says he went to Marseille, France and became a bishop, one of the churches, that he survived um, the persecution of Nero, but then he, he died under Dominican. Um, there's another theory that he became a bishop in another church, but Lazarus had a powerful life afterwards. And so you think about the comma that Jesus put there and what that meant for Lazarus and his family afterwards. I bet they were fearless. I bet that they had a completely different rest of the story because they experienced that first part. And I I feel like that's where I want to encourage you with is no matter what's happening in your life right now, and to my next point, what places in your life you are suffering currently, I pray that you'll see the comma that you'll see that um, God is powerful, he is in control, and he's up to something, and it's up to us to be patient to trust him. Yesterday, I was at a wedding and ran into some friends, and um, actually, I have some good friends here, too. Um, actually, I'm gonna, I don't wanna embarrass you, too, but Jane, my friends Jane and Sheldon are here, and they're, let's say, Pastor Sheldon over here. He was my big boss man a long time ago. And his wife, Jane, has been a mentor to me, and they're the reason why I stayed in ministry. I almost quit being a pastor in 2003, and they were the first ones to encourage me in my gifts. So I would say, like, a huge reason why I stand before you professionally is because of those two people who showed up and surprised me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and so when you think about, like, the suffering that we go through, we don't know what God is doing in it. Um, And it's unexpected. Yesterday, we were at a wedding, which was former Linwood people, and um, one of the families at the wedding, um, I was like, hey, what's what's new? What's going on? And they proceeded to relate to me that for two years, they've had an estrangement from one of their kids, and it was just completely unexpected and just going through terrible suffering and, and confusion and not knowing, like, why this has happened and complete cutoff from their child and and it was just unexpected, and, and they're suffering and hurting, and they don't understand why. And, and so we were encouraging each other and just like how to keep, keep their eyes on Jesus right now and, and trust that God is doing something even though it hurts right now. Our suffering can look like physical suffering, emotional suffering, mental suffering. Um, during, my, during my week, my day job, I call it, I'm a therapist, and I right now work at an alcohol and drug recovery facility. And, Every day, I'm astounded at the suffering that has been produced, usually from trauma. It's happened at another point in time and then led to more trauma and abuse of a a chemical, which has brought them here to this place, and there's a whole debris pile of suffering that has followed people. And so I sit with them of helping to make sense of, like, where can they see something bigger? And for some people, they they want God in that. But really, I believe at the end of it, God is the only one who can make sense of our suffering. And this is where we see this beautiful picture of Jesus being with people in suffering and then doing the unexpected. And so I also think that God shows up in those times that where he, he comes to us in unexpected ways and it may not be the way that we think or we want him to do, but he comes and shows up. I don't know if you've ever heard of Elie Wiesel, but he survived the Holocaust and he wrote the book Night. It's probably one of the most disturbing and distressing books I've ever written on suffering. Um, I didn't sleep well after I read that book. And I remember this chapter in Night where Elie Wiesel is talking about this, this, this horrible um, 
site, I mean, they, they saw like one horrible site after another during the Holocaust, but one in particular stood out, and it was the execution of a child. And this person next to him said, where is God? And I was going to read to you the direct quote that Elie Wiesel says. He says, um, they saw this child struggling, dying, and they had to look this child in the face. And he heard this man behind him saying, where is God now? And Elie Wiesel says, and I heard a voice within me answer him, where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here on the gallows. And when I read that, because of Christ and because of the resurrection and because we have a Savior who suffered for us, I read that completely different. I didn't see that God is dead and God is on the gallows and there's no hope. I said, that is our Savior who is on the gallows suffering with us and we are not alone in that. And so today, as I um, encourage you, I want you to think about this, and this is, I can quote myself. (laughs) This is my quote. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus gets you. Jesus knows you. He knows your story. He knows your circumstances. He knows the whole shebang. Jesus sees you. And despite what you or we collectively can't see, God sees the whole story. He looks at it from a perspective that we can't. And that's where no matter what it is, I pray that instead of being mad at God, and you can be mad at God, you can cry out injustice, you can tell him how it is, but I also pray that you'll step back and you'll know that he loves us so much and he's got such a bigger picture than we have. And if you can lean on his big broad shoulders and let him help you with it and suffer with you and know that he gets it, you know, Jesus suffered for us and with us, that he can handle it. And my encouragement comes to you from the prophet Isaiah as we sit with that statement of him seeing you, knowing you, getting you. And it's Isaiah 53, which is a messianic passage. The prophet Isaiah says, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Now think about this when we think of suffering. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus took it all for us. He suffers, he knows it, and we can have confidence in him. So as we come to prayer this morning, I just, I just want you to think about what is it that um, you need to give the Lord of that is in the quantity of suffering right now. Or maybe it's the suffering of another. Think about when, when things don't make sense, God does have sense of it. He knows everything that's going on, and he is good, and he can be trusted. And I pray that you will um, let God do that work within you as we lean into Lent and um, Jesus' love for you. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so much for the fact that you bore our suffering. God, that you've taken every single thing that we did, that we could do, and Lord, that you, you placed it on yourself. Thank you, God, that when we hurt, you hurt. Thank you, God, that you have the whole story, though, and that we can trust you. And Lord, that's my biggest prayer for everyone here, Lord, and myself. God, when things are confusing and hard and we just can't make sense of it, Lord, that we would just have um, enlarged trust and faith. And Lord, that we would also experience your love in just a a bigger quantity and and capacity. Lord, whoever we are praying for or um, lifting up to God, may they also come to know you and may we have... uh, Learn ability to, to tell them about your love and your compassion. We love and praise you, Jesus. Amen. As we come to the table this morning, um, we have our, our COVID to-go cup still. Hopefully, like, in a, in a month or two, we're going to go back to, like, real bread like I gave the children. <laughs> um, but that's how we're going to do communion. In the Covenant Church, we have an open table, which means if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you've trusted him and you've confessed your sins to him, you are welcome here. It's now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Anyone here that humbly puts their trust in Christ and desires his help that they may lead a holy life, all that are truly sorry for their sins and will be delivered for them, all that walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life following the commandment of God, In walking from henceforth in his holy ways, you are invited to draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Many will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust in him to share the feast which he has prepared. Luke tells us that when the risen Lord was at the table with his disciples, he took bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So this morning, come to the sacred table not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify now that you are righteous, that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and you desire to be his true disciples. Come not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not that you have any claim on the grace of God, but you realize you're frailly in sin and you stand in constant need of his mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek his presence and pray for his spirit. The Apostle Paul tells us, as the words of our Lord Jesus Christ were delivered to him, that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and we had given thanks, he told him, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And the same way after supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood and letting your body, oops, and this covenant is the covenant of my blood. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So today as we come to the table, just know that Jesus loves you. He's done it all for you and all you have to do is say yes to him. Let's pray. Lord, as we come together, we praise you and honor you for giving your life, shedding your blood, and letting your body be broken in death for our sake so that we might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord, bless bless this bread that we together eat and the cup which we drink. Let this blessed bread and blessed cup become partakers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, As we take communion together, I'm just going to invite you to come up um, through the ends. I don't know my left from my right, but... Do that and then return to your seats that way. Um, and we're going to wait to take it together. So as you come up and take it, just sit for a moment. And then once everybody has um, taken a cup, um, there's also these are gluten free wafers. They're rice wafers on top, and it's a little, little thing at the top. Do your best to get it off. <laughs> and then there's a cup. So just take it and sit down. And then at the very end, we will all eat together. You may come.